Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to First Baptist Church on this Easter Sunday morning. Isn't it great to be in God's house? Amen. I tell you, and what incredible worship this morning. Thank you, choir and praise team and Carson for all the hard work you guys put into that. It is a great day to be in God's house. We want to thank those who are over in Overflow. Uh, I think we've got them in the youth area and also in Fellowship Hall, so it's a big day for us. And I uh, thank uh, the Lord for those who are willing to go over there and still be a part. And again, for those of you watching online, thank you for joining us. This morning, I want you to take God's Word and turn, if you will, to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. And uh, this morning, we are going to do a message that I've entitled, The Risen King. And uh, in this 24th chapter, we see the significance of the resurrection. And I want you to know one thing this morning, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is personal, and indeed it is powerful. The resurrection of Jesus Christ literally changes everything. Without the resurrection, there is no transformation. Without the resurrection, there is no change in life. Literally, the resurrection holds all things together in this Christian life. Again, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no personal transformation. One of the things I love about the story that is so amazing to me is here in Luke 24, it is a story of the women who came to basically do one thing. They were bringing the spices to finish the embalming of the body of Jesus Christ. They came for one reason, and yet they left totally transformed. There are five scenes or five things that take place in these women's lives that I want you to see this morning when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. The first one I want you to notice is this. They were dealing with reality. Look at verse 1. He says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn... They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now remember, again, these women are coming off uh, of the crucifixion of Christ. They know that Jesus has been laid in a tomb. He's been buried there. They had watched him die. They had watched him suffer. Many of you probably have seen uh, the passion, and in it depicts the crucifixion. I will tell you, as, as horrifying as that was to see in a theater, it does not even come close to the agony and the pain, and the suffering that our Savior went through for us. I will tell you that these women, in a sense, in the vernacular of today, were experiencing what you might call simply post-traumatic stress syndrome. You see, what had happened to them by watching their Savior go to the cross and die, the memory of what Jesus Christ had said about His resurrection had totally been washed away. Picture this, if you will, with me. Although Jesus had talked about the resurrection, and although he talked about the fact that he would suffer and that indeed he would die, but he would also be resurrected on the third day, these women were coming to that tomb for one thing and one thing only, and that was to go through the embalming process. They had seen him die. They had seen a crown of thorns placed upon his brow. They had seen him spit upon. They had watched a spear thrust into his side. They saw him hanging there naked as a spectacle. Horrible, gruesome, beyond imagination. And I will tell you, these women were not thinking resurrection. These women were simply thinking about the fact that we've got to go and take care of the body of Jesus. And probably even by this time, there is a stench because of the decaying process. Think about this. That was their reality. Our reality is that for a lot of us today, even though we may be saved, we got saved years ago, we're not living in the power of that resurrected life. 
we cope the very best way in which we can. Marriage is under attack today like never before. Today we watch as people are trying to define whether you're male or female and just really what is a woman and what is she and what is a male. We, we, we see today our children under attack today. We see more since COVID hit an addiction to porn and alcohol like never before. For some anger and frustration is out of control. And what so many people do is they try to cope and compartmentalize these struggles within their life and these giants within their life, wondering how in the world can I overcome this? How can I get help? But I don't believe that anybody really cares about me. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're fearful to take responsibility for their own choices and their own sin. And so they just try to cope the best way that they can. And so in doing so, they try to grab a hold of some little hope Maybe I look forward to a vacation where I can get away from the job and we can just get away and rest and relax and think about something else. Or maybe there's this little place, there's this corner, there's this restaurant, there's this coffee shop that I can go to, that I can get alone by myself, and maybe somehow I can try to figure this thing out. But the problem is there is no hope for transformation and change. I cannot tell you how many people I have sat with and talked to that are living in that quiet desperation. Don't know what to do. No power, even though they're saved, even though they are members of churches, no power within their life. No hope for change. This is where we find these women. They had reached a point of desperation. Their Savior, the Messiah, was dead. His body had been taken off of the cross, laid in the tomb. This was their reality. But I want you to see the second scene, and that is they were struck by the unexpected. Look at verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, what you see in verse 2 is it implies a question. I think these women had no idea how in the world they were going to roll the stone away to begin with. I don't think that even crossed their mind. Look at verse 3. But when they went in, that is, the stone was rolled away, they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Now, I want you to think this through with me for a moment. You're overcome with this trauma. You've seen Jesus beaten. You've seen him crucified. You've seen him taken off of that, that cross. He was laid in a borrowed tomb. And all of a sudden, you get there, and the stone is rolled away, and, and there is no body inside. I have a feeling they might have thought, maybe we're at the wrong place. Maybe it's, it's a tomb over here. But they were wondering, what in the world has happened? Well, look, if you will, because I think they're speechless. Look in verses 4 through 5. He says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, these men elsewhere would be angels. But look at what they say. He is not here. He is risen. And family, I will tell you, those women sat there speechless. And I think this text doesn't even come close to what actually took place within their lives at this moment. Can you imagine you come there, you're, you're in mourning and you're grieving and you're devastated. You saw him on the cross. You saw him bleed. You saw him literally just, just pray the prayers of Father, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. 
And in their minds and heart, Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. They're coming to embalm his body. And yet here are these angelic beings that look at them and say, why in the world are you seeking the living among the dead? I will tell you at that moment, their reality had changed. I think all of us know that things are not always what they appear. So I want you to listen very carefully to what I'm going to say to you next. Our desperation, your desperation that you may be in this morning, in this room or over in the overflow or those of you that are watching online this morning, listen to me. Our desperation is our path to deliverance. Did you hear what I said? The fact that you may be sitting here this morning or watching online and feel like the walls are closing in upon you, hear me this morning, that, my friend, is a gift from God. The fact that hope for you may have been taken off of the table, that hope taken off the table is a gift from God. The fact that you may be sitting here or watching online this morning and you feel that the consequences of your bad choices and your decisions, that is a gift from God. The fact that you right now are at a place and living right now where you cannot change the situation that you're faced with and you feel overwhelmed and you feel powerless. Listen to me. That is a gift from God. You say, Rick, how in the world can you stand here and tell me that that is a gift from God when I'm going through trials and tribulations and my marriage is coming, all these things are happening. Listen to me. There will be no transformation unless you feel the need. As long as you think in yourself, I can figure it out, I can pull something else out of, my slip, out of my sleeve, I can make this work, I can do this, I can do that, listen to me. Our problem is today, and I believe this with all my heart, we think somehow that you and I can cooperate with God in the midst of our transformation. A dead man cannot give himself CPR, amen? Can't do it, it's an impossibility. So the reason why I can tell you that this is a gift from God is you need to understand that when you are living at a time and a place in your life where you finally recognize, I do not have the means, I don't have the source, then you need one who is alive to speak to your death and to tell you to come forth. These things are a gift from God, but you've got to realize it. It's not a time to run from God, it's a time to run to God. Think about it. What you thought was a dead end is the unwrap to joy and transformation. Third thing I want you to see is they were awakened by memory. Look at verse 6. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, rise, and they remembered. I love that phrase. And they finally, it finally clicked. They remembered his words. Think about this. If you were at the foot of the cross, and you and I saw the horrors of what took place there, and the beating, and the scourging, and the whipping, and the crucifixion, and how his body was mutilated, literally, and how his blood was spilling out of his veins, down that cross, and onto the ground, I have a feeling probably most of us would have post-traumatic syndrome. Probably just like them, our minds would have been washed away and our memories. 
And so they said, don't you remember? Don't you remember what he said? What is amazing to me is, as you go back and read through Scripture, Jesus very seldom, very rarely did he talk about his death, but when he did, he always talked about it relating to the resurrection. He didn't just simply say that I'm going to die. Every time he talked about his death, he said, but I will be put in a grave three days later, I will come forth. They didn't hear it. Think about this. How many times do you find this in Scripture? And the Son of Man has to suffer and die and be buried, but on the third day he would rise again from the dead. Don't you remember? You see, family, too often we live in bondage and defeat because we have forgotten what God has said. We all do it. There have been times in my life when I have gone through trials and tribulations and heartache and disappointment and failures that it's almost like sometimes even myself, I have spiritual amnesia. And I'm fretting and moaning around. It's like God's Spirit says to my heart, son, you've been preaching on this and teaching on this for 52 years. Have you forgotten what you said? Have you forgotten the promises that you've told the people to believe in? All of us have been there at some time or another. And let me just say to you, what you have heard as a child sitting in church your entire life, (laughs) it is true. He is who he said that he is. He did what he said that he would do. He rose again on the third day. And I will tell you, this is not a figure of speech. It's not just simply a story that we share on Easter morning. He is alive. Why? Because he said what he said he was going to do, and he would, and he absolutely did. Jesus is alive. Amen, church? He's alive. But look at the fourth scene that takes place. They're transformed by joy. Think about this. They, they come with this basket full of all the spices and all the things to put upon his body. And again, by this time, I'm sure he stinketh. And I mean, this was their reality in their minds. All of a sudden, they're confronted by these angels. This isn't a dream. The stole, praise God, has been rolled away. And all of a sudden, their reality has changed. Pick it up in verse 9. He says, in returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all of the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. They came running back. Why? Because they came back. The apostles were holding up somewhere. They were scared to death because they were frightened. They had bucked the Roman system. These women come rushing back because of what they had seen. And these women are now filled with joy. They left in tears. They were mourning. They were desperate. They had their basket of incense to go and to put upon the body of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, there was a radical change, their reality change. Now they come back with hope and joy and confidence. Why? Because their reality was now rooted in a truth, the truth that Jesus was alive. And because of that, they had hope and trust and confidence. And listen to me, they had a story to tell. Family, do you know why you and I ought to be passionate about Jesus? It's because we don't get to celebrate Easter every Sunday. We get to celebrate every day of our life. Amen? Every day of our lives. 
because of that resurrection and because you came to a point in time in your life that you confessed, repented of your sins, and invited him to come into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior, I've got news for you. He changed your life. There's no question about that. And you and I ought to be shouting it from the rooftops that every man and woman and child would know that there is hope. I, I read this the other day that Charles Spurgeon once said, listen to this. He says, if sinners be damned, at least make them leap to hell over our dead bodies. Let them perish with their arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, then let it be filled with the teeth of our exhortations and not one go unwarned or unprayed for. Family, you and I ought to be willing to crawl across on broken glass over this country to make sure that every human being knows that there is a hope, that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he's coming again for them, and they do not have to die and perish in hell. That, my friend, is the gospel. It is the mandate that God has given to every one of us to share. And, and why is that? Because we don't have to any longer be trapped in sinful snares and imprisoned by habits. You and I have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The grave is empty. These women, these women came back from that empty tomb, and because of it, they got it. Wow. I wish we as the church could get it as much as those women did. Look at the last thing. It was confirmed by witnesses. These women are now filled with unbelievable joy. They're telling the story that the angels had spoken to them. The stone is rolled away. He is not here. He is risen. Why in the world are you even looking among the dead for the living? But you know what? Just like so many of us today, there's still the skepticism. Look at verse 11. But these words seem to them an idle tale. You see, even these apostles were saying, thinking, wait, wait, wait just a minute. I don't, I don't get this. You're, you're, you're coming back from the tomb, and the, and the only evidence that you have is the fact that you saw two beings, and they told you that he's alive? How do we know that somebody didn't snatch the body, that somebody didn't steal it? Have you ever thought about what happened over a 40-day period that caused these guys to do a 180 because something happened they clearly did not believe it's amazing because when you get to the first chapter of acts there are literally 10 different appearances of jesus christ and he gave the opportunity for all of the skeptics <laughs> to become raving totally committed followers of jesus and the resurrection let me show you those 10 he appeared to Mary Magdalene, appeared to certain other women. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to 10 disciples. Thomas wasn't present. Judas had already betrayed him. He appeared to the disciples again. This time Thomas was present. He appeared to the disciples when they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to the disciples and 500 more at once at a place in Galilee. He appeared to James. He appeared to the apostles immediately before his ascension. And you know what's amazing? On each and every one of those occasions, Jesus gave the opportunity to test the fact of his resurrection. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a myth. It was not a mirage. Because all of these appearances, all the way through, had personal conversation with him. You know what's amazing about it? He touched them, and he even ate with them. But drop down to verse 12. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. So Peter's hearing all of this. All of a sudden, 
sudden something has jarred within him. Somewhere he's remembering he heard something about Jesus saying that, yes, I'm going to suffer, yes, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be laid in a tomb and victoriously I will come out of that grave. Have you often wondered why Peter got up and ran to that tomb? I think three things. First of all, I think, again, Peter's memory was jarred. I think he remembered, again, what Jesus had said. I think, secondly, I think he had a hope because Jesus was alive that he could experience the forgiveness for all the mess that he had done. He's alive. But I think, thirdly, he gets up, he runs to the tomb, and notice this phrase. It says, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. There are two things that I want to say to you on this Easter Sunday morning, because I love you and I care deeply about you. Family, the only reason why that you and I are alive is that you and I might experience the transforming power of the resurrected Lord in your life personally. The only reason why any of us, to be honest with you, were ever born is to represent the glory of God, listen to me, in our moment in history. And I want you to realize that if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, every second, every second that you're breathing is an extraordinary gift from God. And it's an opportunity to turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I promise you, not everybody will be sitting here next Easter. It's just a reality. So understand that if you don't know Christ, this moment is a gift from God. That you could trust Him and believe in Him. And I think secondly, for those of us who are saved, we are believers. The only reason why He did not take us home, the moment that you and I were saved, is so that we could tell the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we could live it every day. See, that's what Paul meant in Romans 6 when he said, Thus, he says, that this same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives also in you so that we might walk in the newness of life. Are you walking in that newness of life? Do you realize this morning the only reason why the tomb is empty is again because the cross had accomplished every single thing that God wanted it to do? That Jesus rose again to demonstrate to a watching world Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He can change your life for all eternity. I'm going to invite you this morning to stand with me, and I want you to bow your head for a moment. And I want to ask you this morning, this resurrection power that I've just talked about, it is available to each and every one of us today. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, listen to me. Hear me this morning. If you're online, if you're over in our overflow, or you're sitting in this room today, and I'm not asking if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Church of Christ, Pentecost, Charismatic, or any denomination, because a denomination cannot and it will never save you. Only Jesus can. And if there's never been a time in your life where you have come to Him and said, Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying and shedding your blood for me and covering my sins. 
At this moment, I want to turn from my sins, and I trust you to be my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my heart to save me. Thank you, Jesus. I got news for you, not because of Rick Fry, but because the fact that God loved you. He died for you. He went to the cross for you. He was resurrected for you. If you have prayed that simple prayer, there's a promise. He has come to live inside of you. That resurrected Lord and power lives right here now if you ask Jesus to do that. And I invite you in a moment to give an invitation. Come forward, tell one of these pastors, say, man, I just asked Jesus into my heart. I want to follow him in believer's baptism. I want to learn how to grow in this faith. And I want to be all that God wants me to be. I I want to live in this resurrection power. And then for those of us who are saved, we are born again. And maybe you got saved years ago. But let's just say maybe you've got a little complacent and apathetic in your walk with God. And maybe you're like the guys I described a few moments ago that you've compartmentalized your life and there seems to be no hope and you wonder how you're going to get through and Maybe you have forgotten that the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ, he came to live inside of you. But it is your choice every day to die to self, to allow him to be the Lord of your life. And I want you to know that power still resides in you if you will release it. But it's your choice. Maybe you're here this morning, God said, you know what, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of. What a better day than to walk the aisle and say on Easter Sunday, I want to come home. Pastor, I don't want to move a letter from some church. I want to come and deposit my life here. I want to join hands with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to help advance the kingdom of God. Will you let him speak to your heart this morning? You come. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for loving us so much that you're really willing to give your life for us to shed your precious blood. I pray today that we would experience that resurrection power, either for the very first time because we accept you, or maybe we've forgotten that it resides there. Move in our hearts today. Help us to be obedient. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.